1: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
2: Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. Eddie Trunk here. Welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. You know the deal, it's free every Thursday. Podcast1.com and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and listening each and every week to these great interviews that I bring for you, or to you, I should say. All of them originating on my daily Sirius XM show, Trunk Nation. Hear it on Volume, Channel 106, live daily. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, replaying every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, or on demand anytime you want on the Sirius XM app, including some cool video from some of my recent interviews you can see if you are a subscriber. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, truly hope you join me and listen every day here on the podcast. You are getting a tiny, tiny, tiny little taste of what I do on a daily basis on my daily Sirius XM radio show. Outside of the U.S. or Canada, Glad to be able to give you a little taste of what I do on a daily basis here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Like I said, new every Thursday at podcastone.com and on Apple Podcasts. So, busy week coming up for me again next week. This coming weekend, I fly to Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. I will be there for a few days for an event called 80s in the Sand at the Breathless Spa and Resort. Sammy Hagar and Lita Ford among the rock artists performing. Looking forward to that. Never been there before. Uh, from there, I go to Los Angeles, get ready to host the annual Dio bowling event at Pins in Studio City. Uh, my bowling team consists of Brent Woods, Steven Adler, Dave Grohl, and Geezer Butler, along with our contest winner who donated some great money for charity for the Dio Cancer Fund. Cannot wait to see you. Frodo is always a wild event on November 7th in Studio City at Pins. For DO Bowling. And then from there, it's over to Houston, where I will host the second annual Foam Henge at the Carbach Brewing Company, featuring Accept and Ace Freely and Pat Travers. It's going to be a great, great afternoon there in Houston. It was a great time doing that event last year. I'm thrilled to be back. Really cool spot, really cool location. Foam Henge. November 10th in Houston. If you're attending that, I'll see you there. That's the next run of rock and roll craziness coming up for me. Hope to see you out and about at these shows. Also, a quick note, my Sirius XM show on volume will be in best of mode. And that is for the week of November 4th. So I'm not going to do a live radio show around all that travel. I had a bunch of vacation time I needed to use from Sirius XM before I lost it. So I'm going to be uh, in best of mode on the Sirius XM show the week of November 4th and Monday, November 11th, back with live shows on Tuesday, November 12th. You can enjoy all the best of stuff, including a lot of great best of programming you'll be getting in my 2 to 4, 10 to midnight Eastern slot if you are a listener on 106. And like I said, live shows resuming on November 12th as far as the Daily Sirius XM show. New podcast, of course, every Thursday here for you, regardless of wherever I'm at and whatever the hell I might be doing. So, a double dip this week. A lot of interview content, so the open is going to be short. Two guitar greats for you. First up, Vivian Campbell. Vivian is, of course, the guitar player in the in Def Leppard, one of them at least, along with Phil Collin. He is also the soul guitar player in the band called Last in Line, which has released two studio albums of original material and also includes Vinnie from the original Dio band, and they also do a bunch of Dio material from the first two albums. They've been opening some shows for UFO and also doing some headline shows around downtime that Viv has from Def Leppard. It's pretty remarkable because Vivian will go from playing a club with Last in Line and then shift right into playing like an arena or a stadium with Def Leppard, and love doing both. I give him a lot of credit for doing that. I've known Viv for a long time. We have a great conversation with him coming up as they were getting ready to play a show that has since happened in Tulsa that I hosted that was a lot of fun. But you'll hear us reference that show that has now happened already, but still an interview worth checking out. Second interview for you on this week's podcast, a guy I know a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear from, Frank Marino. Frank Marino is. Um, An extremely influential guitar player, but a guy that never had huge commercial success in America. He is Canadian. Uh, He just put out a new DVD, Blu-ray. If you are in the know about Frank Marino, you are no doubt very excited about the fact that you're about to hear an interview with him because he doesn't seem to do a lot of them. My first time talking to him, my first time meeting him, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. So Frank Marino... A Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush fame second. First up, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Last in Line here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Also, quick note, I did a broadcast last week from L.A. on my SiriusXM show with Kim Thale of Soundgarden and also Mike Levine of Triumph. That is on demand on the SiriusXM app. There's video coming of that as well. That rainbow broadcast was extremely last minute. I only did it on three days notice. So, I thank everybody who came out to it. And also, uh, a big heads up. You know, I tell you guys all the time, please follow me on social media because that's how I can tell you when last minute things and cool opportunities come up. I even give some stuff away via my social media Twitter, where I am most active, at Eddie Trunk. And of course, Instagram, at Eddie Trunk. Fan page on Facebook, don't really do too much there, eddytrunk.com, the official online home. So, please follow on Twitter up to the second news info and updates do some stuff on instagram as well and of course the website music news and my appearances and all that right there on eddie all right we'll come back we'll start with viv we'll finish up with frank marino hope you guys enjoy this edition of the eddie trunk podcast the eddie trunk podcast Hey, if you guys like my show, you're going to love the official Lakers podcast on Podcast One. Join Emmy award-winning sports reporter Susie Schuster and co-host Aaron Lassoul as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down the games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coaches, and sports personalities. Don't miss the official Lakers podcast every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcast. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast.
3: Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever, brought to you by Kohl's. Today's topic, Mother's Day. Mm, just picking out some gifts at Kohl's. There's a KitchenAid mixer calling my name. Your name? Doing some self-gifting, huh? No, nah, that's for my mom. Baking's her love language. Uh, love that. The Fitbit? That's for me. Getting it for the self-care and the Kohl's cash. That's a big deal. So's the 20% off. And free store pickup. I can get it all in less than an hour. Talk about shopping bowls. 20% offer valid April 28th through May 2nd. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohls.com for details.
2: Welcome back everybody it's Eddie Trunk and this is the Eddie Trunk podcast as promised first up Vivian Campbell followed by Frank Marino let's get to Vivian now again this conversation happened a few weeks ago some of the dates that we're talking about last in line playing have of course since happened but I think you'll still enjoy the conversation with Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and last in line first up on this week's podcast what's going on Viv how are you I am very well Eddie and yourself I'm good, man. A little. little well, I'm not going to complain to you about travel and being a little burnt out from running around because I know you do your <laughs> fair share of it. But I'm a little crispy at the moment. But I'm hanging in there.
4: Good job, good job. Yeah, yeah. I'm bouncing all over the place as usual, you know.
2: I, I've been I've been doing a lot of coast to coast. Well, you you've been doing that because you actually you actually live you live in L.A. and also you were telling me where you, you're in Maine or something now.
4: New Hampshire, yeah.
2: New Hampshire. So you're going back and forth a lot too. I would imagine.
4: Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, I'm in L.A. at the moment and I've been there for about a week. And yeah, and then I'd like to do some more shows with Last in Line. I actually have a leopard show, Deaf Leopard Plan um, Festival did in Nashville on Saturday night. And then I fly from there on to Phoenix to start a, a Last in Line run of shows, uh, most of which involve our opening for UFO which is a band you well, know something
2: about. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, first of all, I'm hosting the festival in Tennessee this weekend, so I'll be oh, seeing you.
4: Right. Oh, great. I'll see you then. Excellent.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You guys are headlining one of the days. It's a pretty it's pretty cool. I don't know if you looked at the whole lineup, but it's it's everyone from it's literally one of the days is Leonard Skinner and Slayer back to back on the same stage. <laughs>
4: Fantastic. I, I had a quick look at who's on on Saturday. I see ZZ Topper on one of the stages, and uh, Ghost is a band I'd be interested to see also. Heard a lot yeah, of and then, about them.
2: Yeah, the headliners are one, one of the – you guys, I believe, I think is Saturday, Guns N' Roses, one of the days, and then um, Skinner the other day, and just before Skinner to Slayer. I know in Europe – and you can tell, speak more on this, but they mix the – Rock and classic rock and metal a lot More than they traditionally do here in the US So I think this is going to be interesting to see how it works But you see a lot of that in Europe right Yeah you do
4: most of the European festivals are are a little bit varied That way and it seems to work so I, I See no reason why it shouldn't work in the States
2: So before we get to talking about Last in Line, because I'm excited about the dates you have coming up, one of which I'm going to be hosting with you in Tulsa, that's a headline show on the 19th of October, the IDL Ballroom, great spot, always a great time there in downtown Tulsa. My friend promotes the shows there. He brings me out to host, so I'm going to look forward to seeing you there as well. But before we get to all of that, you know, Joe Elliott was on this show with me like a week and a half ago talking about his side thing, the down and outs and the new record coming out. And I know you guys just wrapped up the latest Vegas residency. So on the leopard side, how did that all go? How'd you feel about the latest run in Vegas?
4: Uh, that, That was so much fun. I mean, we, we put a stadium show into a theater in Vegas for the residency. I mean, it was the biggest production, the biggest stage we've ever had. Um, so I don't think we'll make much money as a result. I think we put it all back into production, uh, and it was great. It was wonderful. We tried to vary the show every night. You know, we had a, a core set list, but we had a couple of spots within that where we could, you know, pay homage to Paramania or to the Euphoria album or whatever. You know, and it, was, it was nice. I, I like it when we mix it up. It, it kind of kept us on our feet. You know, it's a bit more mental when you do a show like that, when you, you're not doing it by I wrote, you know, you got to kind of think about what's coming up next. And uh, it was nice for me as a guitar player. I always like, as you know, to revisit, you know, the, the more rock stuff <laughs> from the Paramini album and whatnot. You know, Billy's Got a Gun and Die Hard the Hunter and all that stuff. So it was great to do
2: that. I think Joe told me, because he spent a lot of time talking about this with Joe, like I said, just a couple weeks ago. But I th- did, you, did you open with Die Hard the Hunter, I think he said? We did,
4: yeah, and it was epic. It really was. You know, it's such a great song to open with. It's such a dramatic song. You know, the way the, the intro would, opens with acoustic guitar. Sav was playing an acoustic guitar on a stand, and um, yeah, and there's lots of guitar whittly bits for Phil and I in the middle of the song.
2: Well, I love the early stuff. My, I mean, I love all the Leopard stuff, but I love the, the first three, four records the best, and I was I mentioned to Joe as well that, I know this is before your time in the band, of course, but it's crazy starting next year is the 40th of On Through the Night, and then quickly after will be the 40th of High and Dry, and then shortly after that will be the 40th of Pyromania. So it'd be a great opportunity to really dig into those records again. He said he said there is going to be some yeah. sort of special edition of the first record coming, so.
4: Okay, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we'll play more of these shows where we get a chance to to dig deep into that. I'm always a fan of it, you know.
2: yeah. Yeah, well, I would think for you guys, you want to mix it up a little bit. I know for the, I know you've got leopards in an, a, a unique situation or a great situation where they, there's literally like seven, eight songs you have to play every show. But outside of that, whether it be the newer material or even something from like your first record, slang or early material, I, I, I would think it keeps you guys fresh as well, mixing it up a little bit.
4: Yeah, absolutely, it does. I mean, we, we would rather do that to be honest, but it, it's, you know we kind of are beholden to the hits and, and, you know, it's fair to say that a lot of Def Leppard fans that come to the show are, are kind of marginal fans. You know, they really only know those hits. Uh, And then of course there's the other 30 or 40% that are the diehards and they really, 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 really want to hear those deep cuts, you know? So it's always a question of finding the balance, you know? Um, Mm. I think, you know, for this show on Saturday in in Tennessee, we are going to, include a couple of songs that we haven't played for a while that are you know as a result of playing the vegas residency so that'll be nice i think we're we're kind of in the the frame of mind now where we can we feel confident enough to mix it up
2: Oh, well, I fly in tomorrow night. I'll be seeing you guys. I'll, I'll be sure to be in everybody's face and be annoying with requests from high and dry. No problem. <laughs> Please, it. bring it. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> I'll be pushing for Lady Strange and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and Joe will yeah, give me that, a crooked look. Pushing for. Yeah, you'll be pushing a lot <laughs> for that one. What about the song on through the night or Mirror, Mirror? See, don't get me started. I get, oh, well, I get Mirror, too Mirror, geeky. Mirror, we played
4: in Vegas. Wait, I'd say we could turn that one out on Saturday night if you lobby hard enough, you know?
2: Oh, yeah? Another hit and run? Have you done that?
4: Uh, we haven't played that in a few years, but that's,
2: that's a simple enough song, I'm sure, with a bit of practice, you know? Uh, so good. Yeah. So that's, that's great stuff. All right. Well, let, here's what's interesting now, and I was talking about this with the audience before. So everybody in leopard pretty much has another thing they do on the side. Joe was on with me recently to promote down and outs and his new record with that is coming out in, in two days. So you huh? of course have had the second album with last in line. that has been out for a little while last in line Two. But I know the challenge is because leopard has been so active lately around the world. The challenge is finding the windows where you can go out uh with Andrew, with Phil, with Vinny and, and, and tour and support and, and, tell people about this ban and I'm looking over the dates. I mentioned the one in Tulsa, you mentioned some with UFO, but I'm looking over the dates and it looks like to me, this is pretty much the, the longest, most consistent run in the U S you've probably had in a little while, right?
4: It's certainly in a while. Um, you know, maybe three years ago or something, we did a, a longer run in the U S, but yeah, so we're, we're starting, uh, next Tuesday, the 15th in Phoenix with UFO. Um, and then we go to San Antonio again with UFO, and then we got a show of our own in Houston, and then we got the show that you're going to be at, Tulsa, this Saturday night. <clears throat> that's
2: Saturday, uh, yes, got, uh, October 19, yeah.
4: Yeah, and so we have a run of shows that, um, and then at the end of that, we tagged on a show, another show with Def Leppard. Def Leppard is doing a one-off show at an amphitheater that's just opening outside of Sacramento on November 2nd, and last in line are going to open that show, so I'm doing double duty that night. Really? Um, that'll yeah. <laughs> yes indeed. Have you ever done that? Um yeah, well I did it at the Download Festival in the UK in June this this past June. Uh, we opened uh, last in line opened the main stage and Def Leppard closed it that night and in between I took a nap. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, so this this will be interesting to do. So it it's actually a, this Sacramento show on November 2nd. It's I can't remember the name of the um the amphitheater offhand but it's uh there's three bands on the bill obviously as a Def Leppard headline the show last in line are opening the show and Don Felder oh wow strange strange build but there you go um so that'll be fun and then after that we've got another four shows on the on the east coast with last in line and then a couple of weeks later we go to Europe and we've got a couple of week run over there in the UK and mainland Europe So it's been busy enough. You know, as you said, I I do try and and fit in as many shows, literally, I mean, especially this last year or two, when I'm not working with Def Leppard, I'm working with Last in Line and vice versa. So it's it's been very, very busy for me. But I'm happy to do it. I really enjoy my work with both bands. and, And in the case of Last in Line, I mean, you really do need to go out and do the shows. You can't just... You know, do what we're doing now, have a, an interview or whatever, and make a video and put a record out. You really got to manifest things and, you know, you got to go out and play live, and that's what it's all about. And it, it's a lot of fun to do, you know, so, and it keeps me sharp. I mean, I really think I'm playing the better, best I've ever played in my entire career as a result of this, you know, and, and enjoying my work with, with both Jeff Leopard and Last Line. And I think that, that's uh, true of the other guys in, in Leopard, too, you know, with Phil and with Joe, you know, they go off and do things with Down and Out and Delta Deep, and they come back, and we all kind of come back to Death Leopard a little bit more fresh, you know, a little bit more sharp.
2: Yeah, well, it gives everybody a chance to stretch out into some different territory and do some different things. For you, I know, by the way, that that other event date you wanted me to, to mention, that, or you were trying to find the uh, name of the venue, Toyota Toyota Amphitheater. Wheatland, California. I see it on your website November 2nd. That's oh. the show you're you're doing double duty.
4: Nope. That would be it, yeah.
2: And uh lastinlineofficial.com to see all the dates because that's where I just got that information from if you if you want to find out. But but Viv for you I know that when you started Last in Line that part of it was sort of reembracing all the, the Dio stuff that you were such a big part of early on, but it was also about being able to exercise another side of your guitar playing, right? Yeah, it was about, you know,
4: just that aggressive style of guitar playing that I grew out of. Um, you know, it, it came, my desire to play with Vinny and, and Jimmy Ban again in 2011 was right off the back of my doing a, a tour with thin Lizzie as a stumped guitar player. And, you know, as you know, Lizzie were a very, very influential band for me. And just, you know, being on stage with Brian Downey and Scott Gorham and playing Emerald and Black Rose and the rocker and all this stuff. And don't believe a word, you know, it, it brought me back and, and kind of reignited that passion again. So um, it it was great, you know, it was like finding a lost love. I think anything that you, that be- is your passion, that becomes your career, you really, you know, you you'll notice that it'll ebb and flow over the years. You know, it's very hard to keep that that fire burning with the same intensity. And um, I'm very happy to say that I discovered that again around 2010, 2011, and uh, I've, I've been stoking the fire ever since. You know, which is why I think I'm playing better than ever. You know, I'm just I'm I'm very comfortable with how I'm playing. I, I find it effortless now. I find it really easy and flowing out of me. And Writing a lot. We've actually started writing again for the next Last in Line record, which we'll probably start recording in January. And, um, you know, when I was actually in Vegas uh, in August and September with Def Leppard for the residency there, we had four days of writing with Last in Line in between Leppard shows. So, you know, it was it was good to take advantage of that time. And and the new record, I, I would say, is probably 80% written already, and, and it sounds great. I mean, it's just a, a progression from the second album, and, you know, very ambitious, very musical. We're really kind of stretching our muscles on it. So I, I'm excited. I love what I do. I'm a lucky guy,
2: you know. Yeah, no. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is for, for, for people that – Like, like with Last in Line, it originally started out to basically just play stuff from the first three Dio records, and then you made that decision for it to be kind of become its own band. Now you've got two studio records with a third one being written. Mm -hmm. Where is the balance now when you play live for people coming to these shows, whether they be headline dates or they be uh, dates with UFO or any of the stuff you have coming up? What are you doing balance wise as far as material is it 50-50 from original to the dio stuff you and Vinny did yeah, or how's yeah, the well, breakdown
4: it, it, In our own shows like in our own shows when we we can play about you know 90 or 100 minutes or whatever it's about a 50-50 balance it it kind of varies on the opening slots um you know when we open for UFO, I believe they're giving us a solid 60 minute opening slot which is great so we can set 10 songs into that so it, it'll probably be you know f- five of each or, or or maybe six and four. I don't know yet what the set's going to be for the opening slot. But yeah, we're we're on average about fifty fifty. Uh, when we did the the download festival, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this past June, when when uh, I did Double Duty both Last in Line and, and Def Leppard, we only had a thirty minute slot because we were the first band on the main stage, and we decided to make a statement for that because it was such a a high-profile show, um, we we fit in six songs and, and we played five of our own. The only Dio song we played there was, uh, sorry, Rainbow in the Dark, which we closed with. So uh, it, it was a bit of a statement by us, and we, we felt that it was a good opportunity to make that statement because it is principally a new band, you know, even though we've taken our name from the second Dio album. And I think we might have talked about this before. You know, had I known back then and mid 2011 when we were just jamming for the first time. And, and I said, let's go out and do some club shows. <laughs> and I, I was the idiot who said, let's call it last in line. That seems appropriate. Ronnie's passed away. Jimmy and Vinny and I were the last in line. And it's the name of a song and name of an album we, we wrote recorded with Ronnie. So it made perfect sense. Um, but back then I had no idea that it was going to get to the stage where we'd have a couple of albums, like, you know, and, and be working on our third. So, um, it's a bit of a double-edged sword to name a a band after a classic album of a previous band, you know? Uh, So it's always going to be a bit of a a battle for us to find that right balance. But uh, as long as the band is together and as long as we're called last in line, we will always be playing songs from those early deal records. You know, we just got to find the balance.
2: And you, you, it took you a long time to come around to embracing that music. I mean, I know when we've talked about this, when you started with Ronnie, you were very, very young and, uh, and you know, fairly inexperienced in the big picture of the music business and all that. But I remember talking to you long before you you ever did Last in Line. And you, you seemed to have really sort of a conflicted feeling about the early stuff you did with D.O. And I remember always saying to you, man, Viv, so many people love that. And what you did on those records is so mm-hmm. iconic. And you seem to have really come full circle on it now where not only are you doing it with Last in Line, but like you said, embracing it and acknowledging that side of you as a player. I mean, how did that happened like what what what, was there an event was it ronnie's passing or something prior to that was there something that that sort of tripped for you to say hey i should be proud of this and let me go back and rediscover it a little bit
4: yeah you're right it it did take a long time and it has come full circle um and a lot of different things happened a lot of different things were, were pivotal in getting to where it is um you know, the, the way the way I was fired from the band and, and after having invested so much of my my energy and my passion into it, into those first three Dio albums, um, you know, it, it did it hurt so much for so, so many years and I, I wanted nothing to do with it. And I, I didn't look at it as my legacy. Um, and in fact, you know, the, the first album, the Holy Diver album in particular, um, was I was young and, and I was very naive and I signed away all my rights to Ronnie and Wendy to that and to this day I still <laughs> don't get paid for it you know which is I, I kind of had to get over all of that uh, but I, I look at the catalog very very differently it, yes it was Ronnie's legacy but it was also Jimmy Bain's and Vinnie Apsey's and very much mine as well and, and we all uh, collectively created those early albums and, and they were great records and, and they're records to be proud of and I am very proud of them now um, but it took a long time to get to that stage. And, and Ronnie's passing, yeah, I'll, I'll be very honest about this. Ronnie's passing did have something to do with that. You know, um, you can't bear, <laughs> bear any ill will to people in the afterlife. You know, Ronnie is gone and I have been willing to forgive, not forget, but, but to forgive that and, and to move on with my life. You know, it's, it's not good to go through life hanging on to negative feelings, you know, Uh, so I look at the music very, very differently. Now, I still don't get paid for it, but it still gives me great joy, you know, because I created something beautiful and something that other people derive great happiness from and it gives me great happiness to perform it still, you know, so um, it's good, you know, the the music itself is its own reward, you know, so I'm very, very blessed to be able to look at it that way.
2: When you dig back into this stuff and you look at material to play from those first three records with Last in Line – are there any personal highlights for you? Are there songs that you kind of totally forgot about? Do you, did you listen to all three records top to bottom or at least look at the track listing and say, I mean, obviously there's the obvious one. There's the, the obvious ones, Rainbow in the Dark, Last in Line, you know, We Rock, Stand Up and Shout, whatever. But did you look at it and be like, oh, wow, it'd be kind of cool to do Egypt or Sacred Heart or something where there's some things that jumped out at you that you even sort of rediscovered, even though you had a big hand in them?
4: Yeah, all of that. I mean, we are actually playing Egypt. It's pretty much a highlight of the the show for me as a guitarist because I get to go off and do a whole extended solo at the end. We go very freeform on it. Um, you know, songs like Evil Eyes was always a fun song that we didn't play too much back in the day with Dio. Uh, Invisible was a song that we played a bunch with Last in Line and we only ever played it once with Dio. In fact, it was the very, very first show that... The original Dio band ever did at the concert barn in Antioch, California. Uh, so I, re- I remember the, the show very, very well, and, and that was the only time that, that Dio, the band, ever played "Invisible." So you know, there's a lot of those songs, other than as you mentioned, the, the the you know the the title track, "Last in Line," "Holy Diver," you know, "Don't Talk to Strangers." Those sort of big songs. Um, to be honest, we we in "Last in Line," we haven't played much and certainly not recently we haven't played much of anything from the uh, secret heart album that that's a different uh sorry a difficult record for us to um to look at you know it's it was a very painful record to make for all of us ronnie included um you know ronnie's mood was very dark and that that's kind of when the wheels really started to come off and you know the the band was in trouble. And I think everyone was kind of aware of that, but it, it's not a bad record. You know, it, it's maybe just our own personal reflections on it that make it difficult for us to play it. Although Vinny has recently in recent weeks lobbied for us playing King of Rock and Roll again, which mm. is a song that we did play. We played that in the title track, Sacred Heart when we were first uh, doing last of mine shows. And so we, we might get back to playing King and rock King of Rock and Roll in the show, but um, it, it remains to be seen. Right now, the, the bulk of the Dio legacy material that we're playing comes from the first two albums.
2: Well, I think that would be what most people would want to hear anyway. But yeah, something like the title track to Sacred Heart or King of Rock and Roll would be great to hear. And now, of course, you're going to start to, especially once you get a third record out, you're going to have a nice problem where you're going to have those three records and then three records of your own. So you're really going to have to work that you know, work that balance and figure out you know, where the band's going to go.
4: Exactly, you know, but but like I said, as long as the band is called Last in Line, <laughs> you know, we we uh, were definitely going to play some deal material, and I think we always will. You know, it'll just you know, we've got it as you say. It's a nice problem to have. You know, we have a problem in, in Def Leppard where there's so much catalog, you know, and we're beholden to the hits. Um, it's a similar kind of thing, you know, but uh, it's a good problem to have.
2: Yeah, no, it, it definitely definitely is. And talk for a second, if you will. Um, Viv, because of course, Jimmy Bain was in Last in Line and was a big part of that first record and on that first record. And we all know the story. I was there. Tragically, he passed away on that Def Leppard cruise. Uh, Phil Susson comes in and has now been in the band and has now made a record with you guys, and has been touring with you for a while. How has that all worked out?
4: perfect actually um you know jimmy was scottish phil is english so it keeps the two americans and two european balance <laughs> which is what the which is what the original dio band had and which is what we've always had in last in line with, with jimmy from the start we've we've carried that through with with phil um obviously he's cut from the same cloth you know having been with Ozzy back in the 80s um he's a, an incredible musician i i'd say he's, Musically, he's not the same kind of bass player that Jimmy was. Jimmy was such an uh, epic, toneful player and such a fundamental player. Jimmy's timing was impeccable. Um, He was just really foundational in his playing and his sound. Uh, Phil is a much more ambitious, much more adventurous bass player, kind of like John Entwistle to The Who and Geezer Butler in Sabbath. You know, he finds a, a pocket to fill you know, and a place to make a statement. He's uh, an ambitious musician. He's a great songwriter. um, And he's really fit into the band very, very well. He's got a great sense of humor, which is exceptionally important for this band and indeed for any band. You know, you spend a lot of time, as we call it, in submarine duty, you know, in a van or whatever, or in a dressing room. So we've got to get along. And I'm happy to say that we all do. And we we have a lot of laughs and a lot of good times together. And he's very easy to work with. And uh, he's a great writer. And his input has been... um, you know immense with with the the second album as it has been on this upcoming record
2: you know it's funny i saw something making the rounds on social media where i guess you did a last in line interview and somebody you had to defend the fact that last in line was not a money grab and i just laughed out loud <laughs> at that because i'm like how stupid could somebody be to think like like i've seen you like I've told this story one year. I saw you at Rocklahoma. one year playing on the side stage in the middle of the day with your dressing room, a tiny little trailer with no bathroom over there. And then the next year you played Rocklahoma with Leopard headlining the main stage with a whole artist compound. I'm like, what are people talking about? If there's anything that ever wasn't a money grab, it's your desire to go literally from stadiums to clubs to play this music that you like. I mean, it's I don't know where people come up with this stuff. It's crazy. Well, well, people don't know how the industry works, you know. I
4: mean, no, you know, people think that we're millionaires because Jimmy and Vinny and I wrote the whole right. paper album with Ronnie. You know, it's like we don't get a penny for it still to this day. But, you know, that's, that's we have to kind of recalibrate our thinking about that. You know, like I said earlier, it's the reward is the music itself. You know, yeah, it would be great to get paid for it. But, you know, guess what? I'm very fortunate I get paid with Def Leppard and I make a very comfortable living doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my work with last in line is a passion project. It's I, I fly Southwest Airlines. I carry my own guitar. I'm excited when I get to stay in a Holly and Express because that's as good as it gets, you know? Uh, I'm also excited when the Sprinter van drive is less than 500 miles. You know, it, it's, <laughs> I'm excited when I get to eat something other than another cheese sandwich. It's, you know, it, it's hard work. It's a graft, but it, it's, You know, I would do it for free and I I literally do do it for free because um, because I can and because I want to, you know, and it's all I ever wanted to do was was play angry rock guitar and I get to do it. And uh, fortunately, I'm very well compensated for my work with Leopard and that affords me the opportunity to be able to work with last in line. So, you know, but people, I don't know how a plumber makes a living. I I don't know how an electrician or a real estate agent or a banker or a secretary or or anyone makes their work or a car mechanic, you know, so I I don't expect people to understand how the music business works, you know.
2: Right. Right. I, I, I just, I, I would imagine it, it helps keep you grounded a little bit too. I mean, from one minute playing a stadium with leopard to, uh, you know, a few days later playing a, a small club or something somewhere for 100, 200 people. Uh, I'm sure that that, you know, that keeps things in check. That's a good good sort of balance at times to keep you kind of grounded in some way, right?
4: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, here, <laughs> yeah, um, actually, Andrew, you know, sometimes when wrong are on stage with, with Last in Line, especially right after it happened, you know, he, he tries to embarrass me by introducing me as a guitar player in Def Leppard and being in the Hall of Fame and all that kind of stuff, you know. So, yeah, it it does. The pendulum swings from one extreme to the other, you know, but I have always
2: tried to keep both feet on the ground, you know, (laughs) and this certainly helps me. Yeah. And one and one more thing on Dio before I let you go. I never really heard your thoughts on this, and obviously you worked with Ronnie for a number of years and made three very very classic records. Certainly two extremely classic in those first two, and certainly knew you know knew the guy very well at one point where you when you played with him. What what is your take on the on the? It's not just Ronnie. I mean, other people are rolling out holograms too. But what is your take on the Dio hologram? Do you have any any thoughts or comments on it? Well, I haven't seen it, to be honest.
4: I and it's not something I need to see because obviously I was there. I, I performed on stage with Ronnie hundreds and hundreds of times. But I, I realize that there's a whole generation of people who never got the chance to see Ronnie, so for them it's a very valid thing. You know, it's helping to keep uh the legacy of, of Dio music alive and that's that's a good thing. It's good for all of us. I mean good for me, it's good for Vinny, it's good for Jimmy's memory. Um so I, I have no bones with it, you know, if people want to go see it, it's a very different thing to what we do with with last in line. Um but I mean holograms in general, I've I've never witnessed it in the flesh. I don't know how realistic it looks, how scary it would look. Um, <laughs> it remains to be seen, you know. Mm.
2: Yeah, well it's an emerging thing. I was in a casino a couple months ago and there was a the the act playing in the casino was a double bill of Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison. <laughs> and oh my I was God. like, I looked you know, three times at the poster and then it said real small underneath, you know, produced by whatever holograms. And I was like, wow, this is really becoming a thing. Well, we
4: are, we are living in, in a, a world that's becoming more and more disassociated and, and more virtual, you know? Um, yeah. But what, one thing that will never ever be able to be replicated is the, the interaction between real musicians playing in real time, you know, in a, in a, in a room, any sort of an environment, a, an arena or a club or a theater or whatever, um, it's, you know, it vibrates through your entire core being, you know, and it's, it's a very um, existential sort of a, <laughs> uh, a feeling, you know, and, and it's why I love doing what I love doing and why playing live is the greatest aspect of, of my career you know songwriting is great recording is great and all that but but when you play live on stage with great musicians and and to to an audience and it's an interactive social sort of a thing it's a communal experience and um you know that's that's something that's becoming more and more rare i think um because there's a whole generation of new bands coming up who maybe don't play live a lot. You know, there's a lot of, huh. a lot of tech, not a lot of track.
2: Oh, it's my biggest, it's my biggest yeah. peeve in the world. My friend is the, yeah. is bands not playing live. It's, <laughs> it, I am on a mission and it's, oh, don't even get me started. I, it's got to stop, but it's the most done rock and roll thing in the world to me as a fan, but you're a hundred percent right. I, I'm
4: encouraged. I'm encouraged that, you know, both with Def Leppard and with Last in Line, like I, I look out and I see people who are in their teens and their 20s, their early thirties, you know, and it's they're they're keeping live music supported and keeping it alive, and and they're even if they can't maybe verbalize what it is about a live show that that really turns them on. I mean, there is something about it. It's, it's a unique in the moment experience. I mean, my pet peeve about it is I wish people would put their frigging cell phones down and just mm. enjoy enjoy the experience. You know, they're experiencing it less because of that, but it's. Um, it's something very special, and it's very, very magical. And no matter how tricky technology gets, it'll never replicate that. You know, it's real music needs to be live. That's the the greatest environment to experience it. And it doesn't matter what genre of music. It doesn't matter if it's rock music or classical music. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a, an orchestra play in the right kind of room, I mean, it it can bring you to tears. I mean, it's just so emotional and so impactful and so physical, you know, the way that music just flows through your body when you're in the room with, with real musicians playing live and that those interactions. So, um, it's, it's what it's all about to me. And and that's why I fly Southwest. And stay at Holiday and Express, you know. I need, I need well, that, to get another cheese sandwich. So,
2: <laughs> but that's what it's about for me as a fan. It's got like I want to see my bands live, warts and all. I I can't do. You know, I find if I find out a band's all, you know, running tracks and lip-synced vocals and this is on tracks, I have zero interest. I'd rather listen to the record. The whole energy, the whole excitement of seeing a band and actually being able to evaluate if they had a good night or a bad night is based on Mm -hmm. a band truly playing live. You know, plug in, let me hear you go, let's hear you sing, let's hear you play. And I I, I just think that that's something that cannot get lost in rock music. We need that and we need the – and I'm seeing more. More and more, Vivian, you know, Joe, I know, has been outspoken about it, but a lot of bands, uh, you know, Sebastian Bach is out there on tour right now, and he actually put out a press release saying, I want everybody to know I'm actually playing 100% live. It's ridiculous that live bands actually have to own that, but that's it's gotten so bad that that's what they need to do to let people know, hey, we're the genuine article here. We're actually putting the work in and actually singing and playing live. Yeah, but I think people
4: can tell, you know, I mean, for the, for the greater part, you know, it's um, you can't really fool people. I mean, it, it's the, all the senses aren't being fulfilled if it's not live, you know, and I think people yeah. kind of pick up on that. So, um, but yeah, it's um, catch it while you can. <laughs> you know, it's not last
2: forever. <laughs> That's sad if that's the case, but I, I have to believe there will always be guys that actually plug in and go for it and actually do it a hundred percent real and, uh, obviously, you're doing that with both of the bands, Last in Line and, and Leopard, and that's that's a great thing to see. Um, again, we'll redirect everybody to Last in Line official to find a date near you because it is rare that Vivian has a chance to go out and really work with this great band. And I've seen Last in Line a bunch of times. It's a great, great show. It's a great band. Andrew sings his ass off. We didn't even touch on him. Vinny is still a beast even you know after all these years, just one of the most... Incredible drummers to watch, hits so hard, love them to death. So it's really a it's really a lot of fun, and I'm I'm thrilled that you guys are firing this up again. Last thing before I let you go, because I have to ask you this, and this is more important than anything we've talked about. And you know, I reminded people earlier, you are a a fighter and a survivor here with cancer. How are how is your health?
4: Well, it's actually my my back is the issue at the moment. I did spine surgery last Wednesday. Um, so I'm sitting here with an ice pack and a back brace on. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm I'm a little concerned about that. I, I'm You know, it's going to be difficult for me to do these next couple of weeks worth of shows. I'm going to be moving very slowly, but uh, I know that I can get on stage and I can play guitar and I can sing. And so that's all I need to do. It'll be the travel in between that's going to be extremely uncomfortable. But um, as far as the cancer, you know, I'm just doing these infusions. I go back to City of Hope tomorrow and get another infusion and that'll keep me right for another three to four weeks and you know it's, it's just maintenance so it's uh, it's all good as far as i'm concerned
2: is it the type of thing viv that will ever fully go into remission or the type of thing you're gonna have to manage the rest of your life oh uh, well,
4: right now it's just holding you know and it has been for four years so i'm very fortunate that you know i caught my cancer early enough to where this is okay to keep it in this holding pattern um so un- until something else comes along it, the technology is, is moving at a furious pace. I mean, there's so many new cancer treatments and alternative treatments coming to light year after year. Uh, The treatment that I'm on, in fact, I was part of a clinical trial of that, that's relatively new. Um, So, you know, I'm very fortunate that way that uh, I caught it early and and I happen to be a a good candidate for this particular treatment and it's a good placeholder. So uh, it doesn't really have any impact on my life, you know, other than scheduling and, and a little bit tired few days around the the, um, the infusions. But, but like I say, right, right now, it's kind of slid to second place in, in, on the complaints list, you know, because of the back surgery. So mm. that's my more pressing concern. It's always something, isn't
2: it? Yeah, well, we're all getting older, man. And I, I, yeah. I feel it every day when I get out of bed, too. And <laughs> with all the travel, it's like I get my foot hits the floor and it's like, oh, my God, what happened? I don't know. I'm just waking up. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, happened.
4: So the music keeps us young,
2: you know. I agree with that fully. I completely am a believer that rock and roll keeps us young, and I, I will, I will yep. definitely sign for that. Well, listen, man, get some rest, and uh, I will see. I'll see you in Tennessee this weekend. Uh, bring a jacket. I'm told it's going to the, yeah, the temps are going to drop a lot at night. I'm told so. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I'll see I'll, you in. Uh, I'll, I'll see I'll you I'll at bring, Exit 111. With well, that, I'll, I'll, I'll see bring both bring of you. Bring, yeah, well, your jacket won't fit me, unfortunately, but what's that?
4: Oh, Phil, bring one for Phil.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Phil's not going to go the shirtless route, I don't think, this weekend. But this, I'm going to see you in both of your worlds, man, because I'm going to host Exit 111 with you this weekend and see you headline a day at an enormous rock festival with Leopard. And then a week later, I'm going to see you and intro you at a club in Tulsa for Last in Line. So I am going to live the both worlds of Vivian Campbell in the next week. I can't wait.
4: Excellent, Eddie. I
2: appreciate that. You're Living the dream with me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Take care right. of yourself, man. Good talking to you. And I'll see you. Uh, I'll see you this weekend. Cheers, Eddie. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. There he goes, everybody. Vivian Campbell. Great to talk with him. <laughs> and a lot of good stuff there. My thanks to Vivian Campbell. And those shows with Last in Line, really, really good. Had a chance to see them a couple of times, both opening for UFO and that headline show that I hosted there in Tulsa. All right, we'll come back. Second interview on this week's podcast, the legendary, iconically influential guitar player Frank Marino. He's next. As always, a big thank you for listening to the show. We'd like to ask a small but very important favor of you. It'll only take a few minutes, and if you're one of the first people to do it, Podcast One will make it worth your time. We need you to complete a short survey because the information you give us can help make things better for the show and you as a listener. Just go to podcastone.com/survey, and everything will be right there for you. That's podcast 1.com survey The first 250 people who complete the survey will get a $10 gift card to Amazon.com, and two grand prize winners will be selected at random random to get a $100 Amazon gift card. How about that? Free money. It's a win-win. Our shows are supported by advertisers, so filling this out will really help us cater to the needs of you as a loyal listener. Go to podcast1.com/survey, answer some questions, and potentially make some money along the way. From all of us here at Podcast
3: 1, thank you for being a dedicated listener. Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever, brought to you by Coles. Today's topic, Mother's Day. Mm, just picking out some gifts at Kohl's. There's a KitchenAid mixer calling my name. Your name? Doing some self-gifting, huh? No, that's for my mom. Baking's her love language. Ah, uh, love that. The Fitbit? That's for me. Getting it for the self-care and the Coles cash. That's a big deal. So's the 20% off. And free store pickup. I can get it all in less than an hour. Talk about shopping goals. 20% offer valid April 28th through May 2nd. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohls.com for details.
2: Eddie Trunk back with you on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. As promised, Frank Marino, a Frank Marino and Mahogany Rush fan, uh, fame, I should say, a guy that so many people are fans of that went on to have huge success, maybe the biggest being Zach Wilde, who absolutely worships Frank. Don't hear from him all that often. This is the very first time I ever talked to the guy or met the guy. We talk about his new Blu-ray. The interview, as you're about to hear, happened over the phone, but it was great talking to him. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here is Frank Marino on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Frank, it's nice to meet you over the phone. How are you?
1: It's great to meet you too, Eddie. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Everything's okay. Okay.
2: I've heard nothing but amazing things about some of your shows and say the last, they've been sporadic. I know there's not been a lot of them, but friends of mine have seen you play in recent years, just come back raving and raving. And, uh, it's long overdue that we get a chance to chat. And obviously this new collection that's just come out is, uh, is pretty exciting. The fans seem to be really pumped and it's, it's an amazing set. Tell me a little bit about how this came together.
1: Well, it was a long time in the making. Um, I, I've never been. Um, I, I never really wanted to do a lot of video stuff because I always just, you know, I preferred the audio portion of music. But for years and years, you know, many people in the industry have been saying to me, you know, Frank, you got to do video. Everybody does video, and for, I, I avoided it for a long, long time until um, until a couple of people who uh, they happened to be the the video producers for uh, for Bruce uh, Springsteen. Uh, they'd done a lot of, you know, like 12 or 13 with him and they just kept telling me, you got to do one, you got to do one. I, and I just wouldn't do one. And finally, finally the guy said, if you're not going to do it, we're going to do it. <laughs> so I was doing this gig in Cleveland at the Agora and they showed up with, with their trucks and everything and said, we're doing that video you should have been doing 10 years ago. So, <laughs> so they did, they recorded it. And, uh, in the end, uh, it turned out to be pretty cool. I, I decided that if I was going to do one, I wanted to do as much as possible, in one day so i said look rather than just play a gig let's just play all day and uh you know let's play the night before we'll have a sound check and um, then the next day we'll play for you know 12 hours and take a couple of breaks and so we did we recorded a whole bunch of stuff and uh, everything was good and uh, (laughs) then there was a little problem with the audio which took me a few years to fix but uh here it is it's done it's great and i'm happy it's done
2: well, yeah, because the, the, the collection as it is, is I think clocks in at somewhere around six hours. But the, the – so wait, so that is wild. So you're telling me that this, I'm assuming, was shot a few years ago. But you went and you played basically for like with an, for an audience that long? The set well, we was that did, long?
1: Yeah, normally I do three- to four-hour shows, okay? So that's not crazy for me, but – the night before you know we we had the friday night where we just you know let the people in anyway and uh we basically you know sound checked and got everything ready and played from what i guess seven o'clock till midnight and and then the next day we came back at noon and we started around one and we finished around one in the morning but we took a couple of breaks in the day and out of all of that uh i basically gleaned uh six six solid hours of music i didn't I didn't put any of the like the talking and stuff in into the into the DVD production. I just figured, you know, people want to see the music, so put it together as a concert and uh, it's actually three three concert, three sets if you want to put it this way and um put them in the set like that. I just felt that you know, maybe one day we could we could do the rest of it. <laughs> you never know. But uh but yeah, that's what it ended up being—six hours out of the uh, the twelve or or more that we actually did.
2: How many people that were in the room in terms of audience? Uh, what percentage would you say actually watched the entire thing?
1: A hundred percent. Really? <laughs> Just yet, yeah, they don't leave. Um, it's always been like that with us. Uh, we have a look. We have a really sort of a dedicated kind of. Um, I, I hate to use the word fan base because I, I'm more like supporters, you know, I think fans, is right. kind of like a bit, uh, you know, different than I'd like to say. So they're supporters. They've supported the act. Um, uh, some people have said, you know, that the, the, the fans of the group are almost like deadheads, all right, in a sense that they, you know, follow us from gig to gig and they're. Yeah, I was going to say
2: great. it. So- it sounds kind of like a jam band mentality. That's kind of common oh, in the jam band community.
1: Yeah, Eddie, totally. I mean, like, uh, look, that's what I did in the late '60s, like when I started. Uh, you know, that's what the band is. I mean, let's face it, I'm not a singing star, and uh, it's not like we had pop tunes or uh, hits and stuff like that. It really is a, a, an original jam band. Yeah. Uh, and, and and we still do that to this day. Like what you see on this, uh, on this Blu-ray or this DVD is pretty much what we've always done, and uh, it's very, very natural. It's just the way the way i was started in music you know and and i've always i've always maintained that you know it's just something i do because i like it i love it actually and and i think you know we've got those kind of supporters that uh, that kind of like that too they're not all players by the way you know it's it's not just guitarists and players that uh, that follow what we do it's people that like that kind of organic <clears throat> you know make it up as you go music type of thing although there are songs of course from the albums but it's a lot of its jamming.
2: Yeah, no that is wild. I didn't realize it was to that degree and that it was a full it's a full weekend experience to to go and see Frank Marino and you know that does make sense now too because obviously you're and I talk about this all the time all the time the 70s were the era for the live record they were and the live record could break a band in the 70s they were landmark releases unfortunately not not much of of note in terms of real success for live records since the 70s but there's so many great live ones including Frank Marino Mahogany Rush live and i notice in looking at the liner notes to that record even back then you wrote that you would apologize because, due to the confines of even a double record or whatever, you weren't able to pre- present your full show. Even then,
1: right? We weren't, and the label that I was on at the time, which was Columbia, was very adamantly against me even doing a live record, and uh, so you know they they were like, you know, no, 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 you've got to do you know another studio record and. I I mean you know they were fighting me from day one. That's why I left and finally left in the eighties. It was just like I couldn't take it. Every album was an argument. But uh, yeah, the when the, when we finally did insist on on having the live record done, they put it out. They half of that record was not not released. There's still more of that record somewhere <laughs> you know, that they didn't release, uh, and that sort of upset me at the time. Uh, because they just, you know, they wouldn't get behind it. The funny thing about it, though, is that, you know, here we are in, what, 2019, and if you look at the Columbia catalog, I mean, they're still selling that record, <laughs> of all the Mahogany Rush records, so it, it turned out that they were quite wrong about how people might accept a live album, you know. Look, our band um, has always been supported by... by by the public you know we really never got a whole lot of radio uh we really never got a whole lot we you know we did a couple of tv shows and we, we were on the radio for a couple of tunes but certainly not the hundreds of tunes we did do but from a live perspective that's where the bulk of our our support always came from you know from the, all the festivals and the gigs that we did so i'm really not surprised that people would want to, you know fans of the band would want to hear music from our live show because that's really where we do what we do I should say this about jamming Eddie you know a lot of people mistake the idea of jamming in jam bands as you know some guy taking a solo and then another guy taking a solo you know really jamming is when you're inventing the music as you go and you you only do that if you're listening to the other guys in the band and you're not just waiting for your turn to to take a solo like genuine jamming you think about it from the from a jazz perspective you know guys listen to the other guys the band they invent as they go and it's quite likely that when you're jamming properly you're going to invent a unique experience each time that you do it it won't be a repetition of what you did on any other given night so when i say jam band that's kind of what i mean i don't just mean
2: wanking <laughs> right right thing, yeah. yeah of course and you know you have um no doubt a dedicated as you mentioned very very loyal passionate fan base out there that people hear about you even even now and whether it be a guy like zach wild or steve Vai or any of these guys kirk hammett that talk about how important you were to shaping their playing that that all obviously uh maybe puts newer younger eyes on frank marino and what he's done and uh you know, you you must feel that going on right now. I'm sure that's something that, that you know after even all these decades. Do you feel like there's new people because of some of these major name players that you influenced uh, yeah. in terms of commercial appeal pointing you got, to you yeah. and saying, hey, you got to check out Frank Marino? Absolutely,
1: Zach, especially, you know, Marty Friedman, uh, uh, Frank Hannon, you know, a, a lot of Uli Ross. A lot of these guys have been, you know, very instrumental in helping other people say, hey, hey, you know, I should check out this guy because, you know, I mean, even, even Frederick Augustine from Opeth and some of the newer bands, you know, they're all doing sort of the same thing. Um, Arch Enemy, you know, all all genres of kind of right. guitar players and bands have sort of pointed to what I did and what I'm doing uh, from the 70s on. I, I think basically that comes from the fact that, you know, I've been in this business now 50 years, like this year, And um, when I started, it was kind of unusual at the time because I was 16, you know, it was unusual to have a 16 year old, you know, producing and making albums and being on, you know, going on tour, playing a wild electric guitar. Uh, But years later, it started to become the norm and by that time that's when a lot of these guys were you know became influenced it wasn't really so much what frank was playing it was and i hate to say third person stuff but it was it was the fact that he was you know so i think a lot of these guys realized that they could all do the same kind of thing they're a little younger than me by about 10 years and and so that's that's how it happened and that's why they say it today you know, similar to maybe the way I felt about, let's say, Johnny Winter or Jimi Hendrix or, or guys like that. Uh, that's sort of what they've done, but they've helped immensely to broaden the scope of the audience. And I don't think, I really don't think their audiences are, are disappointed in any way when they do, you know, turn on what we do and and see that it really is an early influence of what 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 they do.
2: Now here in America, I mean, I know you were on huge shows back in the day, Cal Jam and all that sort of stuff, and you were out, you were certainly out there, but as you alluded to before, the, the commercial, the big commercial success, the hit song, the, that big crossover moment pretty much eluded you most of your career. do you, did, did you find that frustrating? Was that something you were sort of chasing, or were you so much sort of in this free spirit, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it mode, that you knew that was probably going to come with the territory, being that creative and expressing yourself the way you do?
1: I, I think the last time that I – was disappointed about that lack of support at the radio level, let's say, was probably on my first album. Uh, just because they you know the record company that had signed me at the time had made this big allusion to you know the fact that you know, this is going to be something and it's going to be on the radio. And at the time we didn't really want to even do that. We were considered a counterculture band. And, you know, I considered us a counterculture band that were just doing it to have fun, and these guys sort of talked us into recording. They were like, you know, the enemy. Oh, no, we're going to, you know, get hooked up with the establishment. That's what people were thinking in 69, 70, 71. And so, you know, we did this thing, and then, of course, it didn't really do anything at radio, and I think I was a bit disappointed because they had kind of convinced me that it might do something. But by the second album... um, that, I, I had totally you know, not cared about it, because I really didn't before either. Um, and so by the second album, I just started doing what I wanted to be doing, and consequently, a lot of those songs are too long for the radio, uh, too many solos for the radio, uh, not enough harmony vocals. You know? So naturally, I never expected it. And when we did get some radio play, for instance late at the end of the 70s you know i think it was 1980 or something we finally got a what was considered a number 1 radio hit with a song called Strange Dreams it was not intended to even be that it was just one of the songs from the album that happened to catch on at uh, i think it was KLOS, and it became number 1 for you know on 160 stations for many weeks as i recall but the funny thing about that tune is that there was no guitar solo on it at all. It's The only thing I've ever done that didn't have a guitar solo. So it was completely I was like, okay. So now we got on the radio. So now what, you know? And then I just kept on, you know, doing what I'm doing, but you're right. I'm I just do what I'm doing uh, always have always will don't really care about fame. Okay, that's not something that interests me all that much. Otherwise, I'd probably be touring a lot more. Uh, but I just, you know, I want to, I want to make music and have a good time doing it and, and make sure that, that the supporters, uh, have, you know, hear good music when we play it. That's honest, straight from the heart. And, uh, so I I don't tour as much for that very, very reason. You know, I'm not, I'm not chasing anything. Tell you the truth.
2: Well, a lot of these artists, I think, they tour, and some of them, I think, make the mistake of over-touring, and some of them have to do it out of necessity because that's the only way they can make a living these days. Record sales, record deals aren't what they once were. Uh, throughout the 70s with the deals you had and all the big shows you did, were, were you smart with your, your budgeting and your money and uh, oh God, been no. able to set no, yourself no. all you were No, earned. no. Oh God, no. I,
1: I, don't, I don't even own a home you know, oh, okay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy that lives in a rental and, you know, drives a 15 year old car. It's, it's, I don't, uh, you know, I have a nice family with daughters and, you know, we, we all do whatever we can to survive. I'm, I'm the right. same guy I was in, in 1971, but except I'm, I'm an older body. Uh, but no, I didn't, uh, there was no money, you know, the money that, that, that it looked like there was that illusion of the money. It was all spent at the studio. It was all you know paid back to the record company. I've never seen a you know royalty check from them, and and so we were not that kind of act. Now I know some acts have made you know they've done well with whatever money they've had, and they've you know got some of them have TV shows, but you know that was never never me, and um, I, I certainly. I can certainly tell you that the music industry has has certainly not been something that made me any kind of money to, of note. Okay? It looked like it did, you know, cuz we're playing a lot of big places and right. we're doing a lot of records and but all of it was spent on that. And there was always some manager or some agent or some record person who was telling you, you "No, know, we're we're going to put this up and you got to spend it on this or spend it on that." So none of us came away with uh with any kind of serious dough. Otherwise, I'd probably have a house today, and uh, and I don't, and I never will, so that's about the end of that, you know?
2: The other big difference you talk about between you now and the younger Frank Marino, it, it, because I know that this played a, a role in in your exploration of music, and that was when you were much younger, you did drugs, you did, you you had issues with LSD and, and things like that. Can you well, talk a little bit about that? Because well, that that's that was really...
1: was way before. That's what people don't understand. I, I, You know, I started, it was the hippie generation in 1967, you know, summer love, all that kind of stuff. And I was the young kid who had the older brothers and the older sisters who were into that whole, you know, hippie thing. And so I was the mascot kid that they would drag along because I was three or four years younger than they were. And, of course, I started doing all the stuff that everyone was doing, which was, you know, smoking grass and hash and dropping acid. Now, by the time I blew my mind on it, which was in 1968... I never did another drug or a drink again. And I only started playing guitar in 68 when I blew my mind because I actually learned to play guitar while I was in the hospital. So there's a a, a thinking out there that I did this entire psychedelic music career, which I do, uh, based on the fact that I was taking drugs and getting high. I, I have not had a drug or a drink since I came out of the hospital, but all my music is certainly very much influenced by it and um so no drugs drugs like lsd played a part in shaping let's say who i became when i became this musician and yes it, it took a long time to wear off with the situation that i had so naturally a lot of my early music and especially the earliest stuff was very very much uh, about that kind of experience not about the drugs themselves but about trying to express those feelings but uh but that was not the way that I was approaching music at all. In a sense, music for me, and guitar especially, um, was just a, a, a way to try to find how to express what I, was, what I had been going through uh, in, with that, that, what I called the trip, the mahogany rush, which is where the words come from, that trip.
2: Uh, So there was one specific thing, Frank, that you did, where you just, you overdid it, and he just sent you into a spiral that you were actually hospitalized?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, I had been doing it for a couple of years, and I was a young little kid, and I shouldn't have been doing it at all. And, uh, you know, the, uh, I did, I ended up in, in, literally, in an asylum for children. And and I had to work my way out of that. And that did not just go away in a week. Uh, You know, I, I... I had been a drummer as a kid. I'm still a drummer, uh, you know, loving, you know, Buddy Rich and jazz and Elvin Jones and, you know, playing jazz drums. And I always thought maybe one day I'll be a drummer, you know. And then in the hospital, they certainly didn't have a set of drums. So so there happened to be a guitar there. and uh, And that was one of the ways I would, you know, by concentrating on doing something other than freaking the guitar became almost like, you know, you're in the ocean, you grab onto a piece of floating wood. And I just, you know, stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it for no other reason than to just not have to think about the other thing. And when Mm -hmm. I finally came out, um, I went out and in a couple of times over the next year or so, and when I finally came out, I was a guitar player. But I wasn't a guitar player to be in a band. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a guitar player in a band. So I would go out and find friends and say, "Hey, you know, do you want to go over to so and so's house and play play with me?" <laughs> you know, that's how the band sort of started. And uh and that's why it was it was about it wasn't about let's be in a band, uh let's have a record deal, let's go do gigs. There was absolutely none of that in the uh in the reasoning behind playing the music I did. And and my friends weren't like that either. It's uh mm. We were all of the same mind. Let's just have fun. I guess I've often said it's like this. You know, the kids that got into the video games, at some point they would take their PlayStations or whatever, their Nintendo machines, over to their friend's house to, to, to play games. They certainly didn't do it in the, with the idea that they were going to become programmers. They were just doing it, and you know, they were taking their PlayStations over to their friend's houses, and we were taking our guitars and drum sets over to our friend's houses. It was the same same type of idea and business interests people that did have record companies figured hey let's get these kids to you know to go into the studio and record records and we can sell it and we can make money on it and of course because we were kids uh, we just sort of said yeah where do you want me to sign it just because they were going to give us equipment and go in the studio and make make music um, and consequently, you know, made a lot of stupid mistakes early on, you know, agreeing to the wrong kinds of things. If I had to do it over again, or if my, my kids wanted to do it, I'd certainly say, you know, be very careful about what you do with these people because they're not they're not your friends. That's mm. basically my point.
2: So Frank, where is the music f- business for you at now after you said nearly 50 years? I know you did this show. I know looking at your um your website there are no dates currently announced. Do you, where do you want to go? I mean the business is so different now than of course when you started. Uh, do you want to be more active and it's just not the opportunities aren't there or is it just your own decision to not, you know, not really play as much or get out there as much as you once did? Well, look,
1: as you well know, yes, it has changed, but so has the expenses. So the point is for an act to go on the road today, it's not the same as an act to go on the road in the 70s. Um, the opportunities are not the same number, the monies are not the same, and the expenses are a lot higher. So for, for me to say, let's go out on the road, there's two things that either have to happen. You either have to hook up with people who do that kind of thing. We're talking managers, agents, you know, the system. You have to join the system or you have to do it yourself. Now, I've always been a type of guy that would rather do it myself because I don't like the system. I don't, I don't think the system is fair to artists and I don't think it's fair to the public. So I, you know, as much as I can, I like to do things myself. When you do do that, the only thing you can do is do it when you can afford to do it. So selling something like the DVD, the Blu-ray, if it sells, you know, enough copies and makes some money, absolutely, I want to go on the road because we love doing it. But if it doesn't, it's not like I can invent the money out of thin air to put the, you know, to put the band on the road. And then the only other opportunity is go and sign up with some management company or some record company or some agency, where then all of a sudden they're doing it their way, and I really don't agree with that. So consequently, you don't see me touring as much. You see me touring every once in a while, sometimes not at all in a year, sometimes for only 30 days. I used to tour 300 days. I love playing. We love it. We love it so much that when we are playing, our sound checks are like four hours long. (laughs) You know, we don't just go in there and check our equipment. We go in there and Mm -hmm. play all day, and then we play all night. That's where we come from. That's the mentality of who we are and where we come from. But if you can't do it, you just can't do it. And I'm okay with that. If we can't do it, we can't do it. I'm not... I'll never chase the industry or you know you know chase the gigs or chase the fame or whatever because I really don't care about that. I I care about making good music and I care that if I do make good music live, the public, the people that support you, have to not be disappointed in what you're doing. I've seen too many people come out of too many shows where they've paid nowadays they're paying eight hundred dollars for some tickets to some shows.
2: Yeah, it's insane. And they, and
1: they and they come out and they go, "You know, I paid 600 bucks or 800 bucks and you know, I got to go and meet the guy and, and and shake his hand and it's like, are you serious? Like they're actually charging money to meet you and sign a piece of paper? Like that is like insane. This is like where have we gotten to? It's it's obscene that people yeah. are doing that.
2: Obscene. We talk about it all the time. It's the Wild West out there. I mean, depending upon the band, I mean, there's a laundry list of, quote-unquote, experiences that you can buy. And everything is for sale. Everything you see well, on that stage is for sale. Eddie, Every Eddie, experience is incredible. That's
1: totally obscene. I mean, it should not be that way. Look, these people are selling access to their signature or whatever it is they're doing at some of these newer groups. I don't know who they are, okay? But I don't really follow it all that much. But the way I look at it is this. You know, in the old days, in the 70s, some of these guys, you were not even allowed to watch them walk out of their car or go back to their car. And there'd be guards all over them, and you weren't allowed to talk to them. And now they, they just want to meet you because you're going to pay them $600 to sign their paper. I just think that's ridiculous. I, I, I just never did it that way. I never will do it that way. And, uh, and I think that the prices, you know, for, for some of these tickets to these shows, I, I see a lot more people come away from those shows and tell you that they didn't think it was worth it. Then I see people that say, hey, I spent, you know, $800 and got these tickets, and wow, was it ever amazing. I mean, you'll get a few guys that'll say that, but the great majority will tell you, you know, well, I had to do it because I thought I'd never see them again. You know, that's basically why they go and they do it. You know, I I don't get it. I just don't get it. So that's just never going to be me. I'm the same guy I always was, and when I'm playing a gig, I don't hide out in the dressing room. If I want to watch the other band, I'll go in the crowd. You know, nobody's going to bug you. (laughs) It's it's the Woodstock mentality. It's sort of how I think. You know.
2: Well, Frank, when you were growing, you're you're Canadian, and when you were growing up in Canada as a kid, what what were the bands that you were seeing that came through Canada that really shaped you and that inspired you or influenced you to? To want to play music and have this attitude about music where you're so pure in the way you want to deliver it and and present to the fans was what what was it that shaped you as a kid that you saw
1: well we got the same bands i mean i saw the Dead, i saw the airplane you know like a free concert in my center of montreal uh, you know i saw Jimi hendrix and actually left because i didn't i thought it was you know noisy i, I left Jimi hendrix's concert you know, we, we had these these groups, but that wasn't really what was shaping me. It wasn't, you know, like I said, I was a, a drummer before I was a guitar player, so I was more shaped by drummers and bands, and I wanted to play jazz. But mm. but to be shaped by the music scene, we're talking, you know, post-67, 69, uh, to be shaped by the camaraderie that was going on between groups, you, you, it was normal. Like if you were doing local festivals or you were watching... Other bands who were bigger, fame more famous, everybody had was kind of friendly. It was like a camaraderie, and everybody felt like they were doing the same thing. And then when I finally got in the scene in the 70s, and especially towards the mid to late 70s, I saw a lot less camaraderie to the point where by the 80s, I just had enough. I just walked away from Columbia. I said, I don't want anything to do with this system, and I'm just going to do everything on my own. And I didn't, you know, I left Columbia. They didn't leave me. <laughs> and so... I just said, no, you know, I want to I want to stay true to what it was that made me love this when I was young. You know, whether it was the Jimi Hendrixes or the Johnny Winters or the guys that I just loved what they did musically, it was about the sound, not about the spectacle. And by the way, Eddie, anybody listening to this who's like of a slightly older, older age will tell you, we never called them anything but concerts, you know, we'd say... Are you going to the so and so concert? We didn't say show. We didn't say spectacle. They became shows and spectacles. The music got put back to the second rate. It was like people weren't even looking at the music anymore. We weren't listening. They we were just looking.
2: Were so you I ever. Don't,
1: I don't want that, you know? I want it to be about the music, really, not were about the ever, personality. you ever.
2: Were you ever approached, or did you ever have any interest in joining another band? Has did an established band ever come to you at some point and say, you know, hey, would you be interested in joining up? We need a guy, or did that not appeal to you?
1: Well, on two occasions, I was offered that. On the first occasion, I was only seventeen, I think, Paul, or maybe even sixteen, seventeen. Paul McCartney was putting Wings together, and somebody came to me from a record label said, Paul McCartney's putting a band together, and they might want. You know, you could probably get that gig if you go and try. And I said I wasn't interested. And the reason I wasn't interested was because I didn't want to leave my friends behind, which was my, you know, drummer and bass player. So I said, no, no, no. The next time that happened was about 10 or more years later. They were putting together the band called Whitesnake, I think, with David Coverdale. And I was in Germany at the time. And again, it came to me from business people. And they say, you know, we're putting together this group and it's going to be with David Coverdale and blah, blah, blah. And they might want a guitar player. Would you like to be in it? Uh, And I said, no, I'm really not not interested in doing that, because that would have meant that I was going after a career. And that's just not me. I'm not at all. in like the last guy to go after a career. It's like to me, it's kind of funny. You know, it's 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 really comical that people chase that kind of thing. Mm. Like I said, the personality shouldn't matter. It's it's about the music and who's making you know and how the music is being made. And when we play a concert, I don't think anybody leaves disappointed. And it's not because we're you know we're amazing players. It's because I think they can understand that there's an organicness to it, a kind of an honesty to it that we're just putting our best foot forward and trying to do whatever we can at the time you know
2: yeah which is which is becoming I- increasingly rare one, one thing one last thing I wanted to ask you which I read and I was always wondering if this this was true are you one of the first people to ever play a guitar wirelessly
1: I think I am uh, because because Ken Schaefer who invented the Schaefer Vega uh, wireless diversity system he brought me the prototype because I've always been a very technical guy. You know, I build my own gear and stuff. You know, and so he used me as a, as a kind of a guinea pig. I still have it. It's actually it's like a yellow version of it. It's really weird. And he gave that to me. And and in those days, I was getting a lot of flack because of the whole Hendrix thing, and people were saying, you know, this guy, you know, saying all that kind of nonsense. And so I used to tape the transmitter. With gaffer tape right to the face of my guitar so that people would because I knew they'd see no chord and then they'd think oh he's faking you know
2: <laughs> so, so, which I there's a lot attention. of that going on today too Frank yeah, that's the biggest problem, problem going on today to the front of the guitar to show people there was a
1: device there and and they wouldn't think I was faking and then and then there was this article once in Cream Magazine or something that said oh Frank Marino's crazy he tapes his cigarettes to the front of his guitar <laughs> thought it was a cigarette pack <laughs> Yeah, but I was I was one of the first, if not the first, and um, and yeah, that's when I started. I haven't ever used the cord since. By the way, that was what seventy five.
2: Really? Wow, yeah. that's interesting because there's people that still to this day swear by the cord. And uh, you, oh yeah, you, you, yeah, they you broke the cord they, a long time ago.
1: Yeah, the tech the techie guys that swear by the cord don't understand why they like the cord. They can tell you, well, it sounds warmer and this and that. I can tell you the technical reason why that is. But if you know that, you can make your own wireless sound exactly the same. It's just that they don't realize what's happening when they use the cord electronically and why they like it. So I've used one ever since because I know technically how to make my amps or my my gear sound like I want to. And, uh, And so I've used it because I just think the idea of being chained to a cord is really, you know... I mean, look at everyone with their phone today. Imagine if they all had cords.
2: <laughs> Imagine <laughs> yeah. the traffic jam. It's <laughs> inconvenient for sure. Yeah, <laughs> Frank, I, I enjoyed the hell out of talking to you, man. I really did, and uh, it's it's long overdue, and I'm glad we had the chance to do it, and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Um, I'm uh, out of time here at the moment, but I want to tell everybody once again to check out Frank's brand new six-hour live concert DVD Blu-ray. It's a whole box; you get everything in there. It's a it's a beautiful set. Mahoganyrush.net. Or if dot, you go or there,
1: com. Or dot com. Or,
2: Oh, okay, it came up yeah. for me as .net, it no, .dot net, but or .dot com.
1: It's .dot net slash DVD, but yeah, it gets you there. Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so there you go. More specifically, mahoganyrush .dot net slash DVD, if you want to get right to the page that yeah. has the information about getting uh, this uh, this incredible set that you've put out. And you know, fingers crossed, man. I hope I get a chance to see you live. I know you. I know you did a show in New York a number of years ago. But uh, we'll keep an eye on the website and keep me posted. Should you should you do some dates, and we'll help you get the word out.
1: I would love it. Thank you, Eddie. It's been great talking to you, great talking to your people, and uh, I hope we we get together
2: sometime soon. Same here, Frank. Thanks so much. Take care, okay? All right, man. Ciao. See ya. There he goes, everybody. Frank Marino. Huge thanks to Frank Marino. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Thanks earlier to uh, Vivian Campbell, who you can see touring with Last in Line. Their latest album is Last in Line 2. And, of course, touring with Def Leppard, who seemed to always be on tour these days. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk. Twitter and Instagram predominantly. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. And be sure to listen to me if you're in the U.S. and Canada and a SiriusXM subscriber. Please join me on Channel 106, Everyday talking Rock, 2 to 4, 10 to midnight Eastern on SiriusXM Channel 106. If you're in the U.S. and Canada and you're not on board with Trunk Nation, please look into becoming a subscriber. Even try the trial subscription, which you can do at SiriusXM.com. I think you will absolutely enjoy what I do on a daily basis for Trunk Nation. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. It is produced, as always, by Katie Irizarry. And I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode, free, as always, at PodcastOne.com and Apple Podcasts. (laughs)
3: Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever. Brought to you by Kohl's. Today's topic, Mother's Day. Mm, just picking out some gifts at Kohl's. There's a KitchenAid mixer calling my name. Your name? Doing some self-gifting, huh? Nah, that's for my mom. Baking's her love language. I uh, love that. The Fitbit? That's for me. Getting it for the self-care and the Coles cash. That's a big deal. So's the 20% off. And free store pickup. I can get it all in less than an hour. Talk about shopping goals. 20% off offer valid April 28th through May 2nd. Some exclusions apply. See store or kohls.com for details.